0: Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks, and today we unpack a BidCorp, ABN Bev, and British American Tobacco with Vessel Yubad from Oyster Catcher Investments. Vessel, good afternoon to you. Always a pleasure.
1: Hi, Noli, Thanks for having me.
0: Wonderful, Vessel. Uh, so, you've chosen ABN Bev, uh, British American Tobacco, and BidCorp as your counters today. Why did you choose these ones?
1: <laughs> so, for the most part, these companies are all Rand hedgers, mm-hmm. um, which I think will become a little bit more flavor of the month in South Africa as we enter kind of elections and uh, looking towards what the budget is going to look like early next year and so on. So I think there might be quite a bit of interest there. And on the other hand, all three of them have very different dynamics um, at play at the moment. And I think two of them are actually very good value.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, let's start off with uh, AB Bev because, uh, you know, that's, I think, one of the biggest companies in the world. Went through very interesting challenges recently, uh, something we probably wouldn't have been able to predict on any conversation. But uh, people still like beer and people still want to drink, and uh, that's fundamentally what makes it a strong company. Yeah,
1: Yeah. no, exactly. So for the most part... um and Alza Bush InBev is what we understand or we know as South African breweries in South Africa. They've got similar operations right across the globe uh, with big exposure to the U.S. and South America. So the most recent problems that they've had um, started in South America, oh, started in America, and I can almost say Middle America. A couple of years ago, they decided to move their marketing department to New York, um, with the new team kind of being New York-based. What we have found over the past couple of years is when you are based in New York, the guys are a little bit out of touch with what's going on in the rest of the economy. We saw this with a couple of the elections and so on, um, and we saw similar trends with what happened in Brexit and how the guys predicted it out of London, right? Uh, They got out of touch with what's actually happening, and the same happened in the marketing department. So the marketing department... Went very woke, if I can put it that way, with the majority of um, Budweiser's uh, clients sitting in the middle of America. Mm. So you can imagine what we understand as kind of redneck Mm. middle America. That was their core consumer with them going the wrong way with ads and so on. We saw volumes drop. On our estimates, 30 to 35%. They lost a lot of market share, did a lot of brand damage. Since then, the, the execs responsible for the marketing campaign have um, left the company and they they refocused the whole branding. So there will most likely be an impact from this for the next couple of quarters, but we do think longer term they should be. What the current share price is telling us is that this is a permanent shift away Mm -hmm. and that there's more pain to come. We think most of the pain is done and that you will at least get some of the volumes back over time.
0: It's very interesting because another dynamic that uh, AB and Bev has to contend with is the, uh of course, uh, there are still many beer lovers. But with the young population coming out, especially from emerging markets, so young young people, Gen Z, they're not much a beer drinkers. Uh, they might prefer something sweeter, a cider, a craft. And what we are seeing happening there is a bit of a trial and error uh, with their craft a beer. Just talk to us about that uh, aspect
1: yeah correct so there's been a lot of movements and it's very different from each country mm-hmm. what we have seen in america is first they moved from beer to light beer mm-hmm. so what we understand as kind of coronas and so on is a much lighter beer than what we are used to here in south africa and since then they've started moving to what is called hard salsas mm-hmm. so hard salsas are almost like a very light spritzer and that is i think what the the latest movement is it's constantly changing Um, But if you had to drink or imagine a hard salsa, we do have some of them in ESSA. They're not extremely popular, but they are rising in popularity. It tastes a little bit, if I had to explain it to somebody, a little bit like sparkling water with a slight hint of vodka or something like that. So that has been where the trends have been moving towards, and they have been seeing quite good growth out of that. Mm -hmm.
0: Also interesting here is uh, developments with Nordic uh, com- uh, companies there with Anora. Just talk to us about that, you know, uh, and the, the market that's there in Finland and Norway. Is this something that could be a huge green shoot for AB InBev?
1: Yeah, uh, in general, it's always exciting. Mm-hmm. I think it is kind of new markets opening up. Unfortunately, when you look at the size of those countries, the spending power is good, but the countries in general aren't that big. If you compare it to like a Brazil or an India or China or even a whole of Africa uh, as they targeted. So unfortunately, the population size of those countries isn't big enough to make a significant impact. We think the most the biggest impact that you will feel in the short term will be. Uh, from hopefully volumes returning in in America. But the other big thing too uh, that I suppose we're very excited about is ABNBF goes through these phases. Uh, when the dollar strengthens, uh, they get hurt on the earnings because most of the product or the, the raw materials that go into um, beer is priced in dollars. Yet majority of what you sell, you sell in EM currencies. So usually when the dollar strengthens or the raw material prices increases a lot, you take a bit of margin pressure. You don't have enough pricing power to pass through the costs quick enough. So they've been hurt by that over the past couple of years. Those trends are now reversing, going the other way, which should mean it's a bit of a tailwind coming uh, into the next couple of result seasons. And hopefully that'll support earnings.
0: Wonderful. Let's talk about a BAT now, because it's also a very similar story, at least where the consumer is. Uh, certainly less cigarette smokers and more smoking of what I call machines but let's uh, talk about let's talk about uh, uh, British American Tobacco.
1: Yeah, so uh, BTI is another another stock that we really really like, um, and I think my favorite too. You'll you'll hear what I'm saying, mm. but the the favorite two for me is BTI and and uh, Anheuser at, the, at these levels at least. So uh, BTI has had. A lot of issues. I think quite a few of their issues were own goals, um, but they also have exogenous factors, especially regulatory pressure. So for the most part, BTI still sells cigarettes, the normal cigarettes that we know. Marlboro is their kind of bigger brand. They specialised in the premium sector, which was one of the issues that they had recently. And then they're moving into what we know as vaping, um, where they've got a lot of illicit market to contend with. So the first problem I suppose BTI has had over the recent past was on the cigarette side. Um, They had very premium brands, i.e. Marlboro, and they were very aggressive at increasing prices. Unfortunately, they were increasing prices at a time where the consumers, especially consumers in the U.S., were getting COVID grants effectively. So you had a little bit of extra spending money, right? As soon as those grants disappeared out of the system and the consumers came under a bit of pressure, we saw some market share losses to the low-end brands, the brands where they never increased prices as aggressively. But as the grants fell away, guys actually couldn't afford these premium products anymore. And BTI unlike a lot of our food retailers in SA didn't have a second-tier brand where you can keep the clients but you just sell them a lower-end product or a slightly cheaper product so that caused them to lose quite a bit of market share and them having to take i think a bit of a slower approach to increasing prices since then they have launched a a marlborough red i think is the brand's name which is a lower end cigarette brand um, so they are it's gaining quite good market share but that's the first issue the second issue is on the vaping side and um, they banned so flavored vapes in the us is banned uh, vaping for or well, the biggest market for bti's vaping product or vaping basket is the us all the flavored vapes they had to take off the off the shelves um, with only tobacco and menthol flavors and we're still waiting on a potential menthol ban just by the way and um, but the flavored vapes were very very popular and i know everybody that that goes out these days have have these little – what do they call them? Elf Bar or a million different brands, but Mm -hmm. grape-flavoured and Mm candy-cotton-flavoured. The idea of the FDA was that these target children, and they wanted to prevent that, so they took them off the market. But unfortunately, about half the market is now illicit uh, vapes, which is still Mm -hmm. the same-flavoured vapes, just coming in through legal channels, and they're struggling to clamp down on those. Mm -hmm. So – BTI is competing in that space, but we do think going forward the FDA does seem as though they're going to clamp down quite aggressively on that, which means that you might get slightly stronger growth out of the vaping portfolio for BTI, just as they're taking market share uh, from the legal legal side of it again. And then you always have the overhang of a potential menthol ban. Uh, BTI is quite big in menthol, especially in the US um, and then a longer term tobacco ban. That all being said, You're generating a lot of cash flow out of the business with a very strong dividend. They're quite aggressive on paying down debt. And once the debt reaches a two, roughly two and a half times um, net debt to EBITDA, they'll look to reinstate. A buyback, which I think is quite positive. How we get to that 2.5 level still remains to be seen. There are some slight questions around that, but I think at these levels, BTI has been under a lot of pressure. Um, You effectively get paid to wait for them to solve these issues. In the short term, the movement away from uh, in the short term, just the getting back some of the market share and hopefully not getting mental ban, but over the longer term for them to switch into reduced-risk products, i.e. vaping, tobacco, heat, and chewables.
0: It's very interesting what happens with uh, the likes of uh, BAT uh, Vessel. Uh, any attempt to really regulate them uh, really gives rise to this illicit trade, which eventually takes a market share from them. And I'm just wondering, you know, it's it's just that the name of the game, when you sell stuff like cigarettes, uh, you know, that it's something that you're going to have to deal with?
1: Yeah, yeah. You are right. It does happen and it does happen all over the world. We've seen it in SA, we've seen it in a lot of the Asian countries, we've seen it in Europe, we've seen it in the US. So it happens everywhere. The difference is if you think about it, the illicit market does not pay taxes on the cigarettes. So effectively the ultimate loser in all of this is not only the the cigarette companies themselves, but governments in terms of tax revenues. So it is in government's interest over the longer term to clamp down on the illicit trade, and they do so aggressively, and often they do so quite successfully. Um, unfortunately, I think this has happened very, very quickly in the US, and they will only, because it happened so quickly, they didn't have the opportunity to counter it, but I do think that will happen in the future. They would wanna protect their their tax base. It's
0: very interesting. Let's talk about a BitCorp now. A corp is one of those companies that you know nothing about, and then when you find out about it, all your salt and all your pepper—every restaurant comes from Bitcorp. <laughs> Literally, that's how it played out with me. Talk, talk about uh, Bitcorp for us, uh, vessel.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> it. So, Bitcorp is effectively a food distributor. Um, if you had to think about it in very simple terms, they're the guys that all the restaurants buy the food from that you eat. So, as soon as you hear the name Bitcorp and you see their logo, you'll notice it everywhere on the roads. So they have these small trucks driving everywhere in ASA, but they are actually a very global company. So they've got big exposure in uh, Australia, New Zealand, across Europe. Um, They're not really present in the US yet. The margins are too low there. but it really is a very big company, yet the market for them is still very fragmented. Mm-hmm. So BitCorp does really well in having a very large distribution network and then adding products onto that distribution network. So then going out and buying, a, as an example, a tomato paste business, mm-hmm. then just adding those products onto their distribution list. Mm-hmm. So... As they do those types of things, you buy a business and you increase the distribution network of the business. You actually add value to the acquisitions that you've done. And that is, I think, Bit, uh, BitCorp's um, biggest – sorry, I think I, I, I always talk about BitVest and BitCorp as one. They're not one anymore. Yeah. A couple of years ago, BitVest and BitCorp split. BitCorp has been growing via acquisition over the past couple of years, and I do think they'll continue to do so.
0: Also interesting about them is that they're not doing well here at home, Vesel. So it's a very interesting dynamic because they are doing super well in Europe. And I'm just wondering what it is about here us here at home. I mean, we have a, a strong dining culture, I think.
1: Hmm. No, you are 100% right. Um, for BitCorp, there's a couple of dynamics to it. Hmm. If you think about the products that they sell, they do sell a very unbranded product, in a sense. A steak in, your, in the restaurant that you go to, you don't know the difference or the brand of the steak that you're eating and one restaurant versus the other. All you know is the restaurant's name. So BitCorp's pricing is very reliant on whatever the pricing is in the market. And for the most part, their price increases tend to track food inflation and they try and keep their margins fairly stable, not to put too much pressure on their clients. So for the most part, they don't really have much of a pricing or much pricing power in the long term. Also, when inflation is too high, they will pass it on. To a certain extent, but there is an extent where they will take a bit of the pressure to alleviate some pressure off their clients. Now, in South Africa, as you can imagine, um Bitcoin is very focused on eating out, and they they're focused on eating out right across the globe. With COVID opening up, we have seen a lot more people going out after COVID. You can imagine um, that's been a trend for more than well more than a year, and different countries at different times, of course. But when a country comes under pressure, the first thing that you can cut out of your budget usually is the amount of times that you go out. It's easy to cut that maybe from twice a month or 10 times a month to twice a month,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as an example. And, and that, I think, is what is putting a certain amount of pressure on them. The consumer is under pressure, which reduces the volumes that you're able to sell. And because there's no pricing power behind it, volumes translate directly to revenue.
0: It's very interesting dynamic you've uh, painted for us here, uh, Vessel. And of course, uh, you know, based on the intro that you gave us, why you chose these stocks, if you are a retail uh, investor sitting at home with some money to spare and you have these three counters as options, in which order would you buy these stocks?
1: So number one and two is a very difficult and very fine line. Mm -hmm. I think for the most part, BTI at these levels comes in as number one. Mm -hmm. On our estimates, the return Uh, The four-year return number looks the best, so you'll do best out of it, hopefully. Um, And the main reason is there's so much pessimism priced into the stock. Mm -hmm. The second one is Anheuser. We do think it's going into a a structural cycle, uh, which means results coming from it should be quite good. And then not because it's a good quality company, it's probably the best quality company of the three, but purely because of the pricing behind it, Mm -hmm. Bitcaucus Last. lost. It's usually one that's always too expensive to buy. Mm -hmm. So you buy it when when there's some exogenous factor like a COVID sell-down. It gives you the opportunity to buy it and then you hold on and hold on to it for a very long time and you wait for another opportunity to buy it again but at these levels the price is a little bit too high for the growth that we expect out of it
0: wonderful and of course uh, for the benefit of our retail uh, retail investors uh, we have an educational term of the week or of the day vessel uh, so it's pricing power and you spoke mm-hmm. about this when you uh, actually spoke about a b and bev talk to us about what that means
1: Yeah. So pricing power is the ability of a company to increase prices of their products. Mm. So as you can imagine, a bid corp on the one end sells, let's take an example, steak. The steak from one supplier to the next supplier, if it's A-grade beef, it's the same product, you're going to buy from the person who sells it to you at the lowest price. Then you go all the way to the other side of the spectrum where you've got, say, a British-American tobacco, where you have smokers who've been smoking Marlboro lights for 30 years, for them to transition from that brand is going to be very difficult. Also, the cost per cigarette isn't that high. So for BTI to increase prices by 10% or 20% relative to their peers, usually is quite easy over the longer term. And then I think you have Anheuser sitting in the middle there with their brands being strong, but also not... As strong, I think, as you would imagine. But if your beer prices go too high, you do tend to switch brands.
0: Well, it's a pleasure catching up with you, Vessel. It's always a pleasure having you on Stock Picks. Thank you so much for talking to us today. And that was Vessel Yubert from Oyster Catch Investments with your Tuesday edition of Stock Picks. And that's all from the Business Lunch team today. Zunati's back with the close at half past five this evening. But until then, stay tuned for lots more coming up right here on Business Day TV.